Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, come and fill this place with your spirit, your presence, and your glory. Let us be changed in your presence. Amen. You can have a seat. Right, the reason Greenhouse exists and the unwavering mission is that we help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And as we track along with Matthew 28, 16 through 20, I wanna break this mission statement down word by word. So if you're new, you know who we are and why we do what we do. If you've been a member or you've been here for a couple of years or whatever, I wanna recast this biblical mandate and vision and let it be flint to your heart and ignite you afresh to burn for the Lord and his purposes. Because that's what I want to happen this morning. I wanna help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And that's the first thing we do is help. Right, one word by word, help, help ordinary people. We wanna help, we wanna not hinder, we don't wanna mask Jesus with political agendas or personal preferences, not say things in echo chambers that will make other Christians happy in their little Christian ghettos. No, we want you to encounter Jesus, unadulterated as he is to the best of our ability. All right, so let me just start with that. This is a safe space to explore the man Jesus, his claims, his divinity, his way of life, the truth that he espoused, he made some pretty radical claims, so either he is a crazy person, he's a complete liar, or he is who he said he is, which is God in the flesh. Now let me be super clear, I don't care if you're Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist, homosexual, heterosexual, non-binary, bisexual, male, female, Republican, Democrat, independent, deconstructed, churched, de-churched, young or old, let me just say, you're welcome here. Okay, you, you're welcome here. And we're gonna do our best to help you learn about Jesus and his ways. And spoiler alert, we have come to believe it is the best way to live. And that is completely and utterly under the influence of Jesus, his words, and his spirit. Now, does this mean that I'm going to agree with everything that my Muslim brother who might be here uh, believes? No. Does it mean that I probably have the same political leanings or sexual ethic as you? Maybe not. Does this mean that I am on the same theological page as all of my atheist friends? No. But I do believe that even though we may disagree, even on the core tenets of our beliefs, that we can still engage with healthy, loving discourse and build relationships together. Okay, the world is gonna, yeah, the world is going to tell you to dehumanize and demonize the other, whatever the other is for you, right? So after 9-11, a lot of uh, Americans got kind of like scared and villainized Arab people, uh, you know, the, the, Sometimes with the church, Christian church, they villainize the LGBTQ community or the LBGTQ community villainizes the church. Or if someone who is a Republican, you mentioned the words Joe Biden around them, they're gonna freak out. Get other people, their heart race is gonna just go crazy, get viscerally upset if you mention the words Donald Trump, right? But let me be clear, true love will never prevail if we can't sit at a table with someone who disagrees with our core beliefs and we can't not just endure, but engage in the conversation with that person from the other camp, whatever the other is for you. All right, we've gotta learn more than we teach. We've gotta listen more than we talk. We need to pursue relationships more than we pursue being right, where love is more than critique and we engage more than we avoid. 
Okay, this isn't easy, folks. I understand that. But I think it's the way of Jesus. I think it's the right thing to do. I'm not naive. I know there are people in this room that have totally different ideas about religion, sexuality, ethics, politics, and about Jesus than I do. Even so, you're welcome here. Okay, if we want to learn or dialogue about this beautiful man, Jesus, we wanna help you do that. I wanna learn your history. I wanna learn your background. I wanna learn your, your sexual ethic. I'm not saying I'm gonna change. I'm not saying you're gonna change. But it, we are better if we can dialogue and have a relationship and we can pull our heads out of this polemic, hateful, us versus them, cancel culture space of disagreement that our culture has pressured us to abide by. If we can take a deep breath, and do what Jesus did, which is see the person in front of you. Regardless of how differently they believe, regardless of how differently they act, regardless of how differently they live, and we see them not as our enemy, but as another beautiful image bearer of God himself, then we can truly start to help one another. Because here's the reality, Jesus is not scared of your differences, and neither am I, neither are we. We wanna help. We wanna help ordinary people. Why? Because Jesus was always surrounded by the ordinary and by the other. He hung out with people that made religious people uncomfortable, okay? The tax collectors and the prostitutes, the, the sick and the leprous, the demonized and the marginalized. Why? Because he saw the beauty and the potential in every person. And he came to help, to seek and save the lost and those who need his love the most. You know, as I was talking with one of our altar workers the other day and, and she was just sharing this beautiful story of this, this young man who came to our church and he said, he, I came to your church just to see what would happen. And he told her how, how his family didn't care about him. He was hanging out at another church and he wore a long black robe with a hood and they asked him not to come back because they were scared of him. And he was kind of doing all these tactics to kind of make her push him away. But this altar worker, she wasn't shocked, she wasn't swayed. He had a little kind of a growth on his arm and she just, she just put her hand on that. And she said, I want you to know whether you are bruised, damaged, broken, defiant, angry, scared, or lonely, you are always welcome, desired, and loved in this place and by Jesus. And I was like, man, that's the stuff right there. Like, that's the stuff. But let me give you a disclaimer, greenhouse Greenhouse is going to mess up with you somewhere along the road because we don't only help ordinary people, we, we are ordinary people, all right? My boy John Legend got it right. And the story of the Bible is that everyone that God actually uses are very ordinary people, right? Look at this passage in Matthew 28, 16 through 17. This is part of the, the Great Commission that I love the most that nobody ever talks about. It says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Right, if you're new to the Bible, this passage comes at the end of the book of Matthew. So this means that Jesus's life had already happened. He had come to earth. He's lived his life. He's been on the ministry scene for three years. He's turned the Jewish world upside down by saying that he's the Messiah of not only the Jews, but of the entire world. He has backed up this claim by performing wild miracles, like raising people from the dead, Casting out demons, healing lepers, making lame people walk by just speaking a word. He's multiplied food. He commands the forces of nature with his mouth. 
He was then tortured, beaten, crucified on a cross. He died there. He literally dies on the cross. The disciples don't know what to do, so they put him in a tomb. And then he raises from the dead. Three days later, he comes back to these disciples. He walks through a wall. He eats a fish to say, hey, I'm actually here. He lets them touch his physical resurrected body. And after all of this, after he has been raised from the dead for 40 days and has been with the disciples for 40 days, it says when so they saw him, some worshiped, but some doubted. I'm like, bruh, what more do you need? But I love this because the disciples that changed the course of history were not superheroes with crazy faith. They were ordinary people with very real doubts. James, Peter, John, Andrew, they were fishermen. Matthew was a run-of-the-mill tax collector. These disciples were chosen not because they are the cream of the religious crop. They didn't attend rabbinical schooling. They didn't graduate top of the class at Bet Midrash, right? They were ordinary people. Abraham was the pillar of the monotheistic faith. He was an ordinary guy. On multiple occasions, he tried to pawn his wife off as his sister because he was scared of what the rulers were gonna do. Just a side note. Sarah must have been really good looking because she was in like her 80s. I'm like, girl, that gray must have looked good on you or something because like he's worried about somebody stealing her. I'm like, what? Man, grandma, you be fine. <laughs> I mean, have you ever thought about that? Maybe it's just me. All right. Um, Abraham tries to pawn her off. Jacob deceived his father on his deathbed. Judah slept with his daughter-in-law unknowingly because he thought he was, she was just kind of a, another temple prostitute. Like that makes it any better, Right? Rahab herself was a prostitute. So David, the man after God's own heart, slept with one of his officer's wives and then sent him off to war to kill him to cover up his affair, and then his wife becomes his baby mama. And everybody I just mentioned, they're part of Jesus' lineage. These are jacked up, ordinary, broken people. Because here's the reality. God doesn't want people who already think they're a big deal. God actually doesn't use those types of people. So if you're looking for someone to have it all together, be prepared to be disappointed at Greenhouse because we don't, all right? If you're looking for a celebrity pastor who's a cool guy who's gonna do backflips, and all that, you're not gonna find it here, right? We're ordinary people. But this is the beauty. We recognize that we are ordinary and that just makes it all the more clear that Jesus is extraordinary, and this is the beautiful juxtaposition of verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Some doubted despite all they had seen. See, others recognized the extraordinary nature of Jesus and they worshiped. And here's where you have to read between the lines. Jesus did not just keep the worshipers and send the doubters away. He welcomed both the doubters and the worshipers and spoke his words of life to absolutely anyone who was interested in hearing them. And so because Jesus welcomes worshipers, we welcome worshipers. Because Jesus welcomes doubters, we welcome doubters. We welcome your questions. We welcome your real, raw wrestling with faith. We welcome you thinking, man, is Jesus really the only way? Ask your questions. You are welcome to ask them here. And we also welcome the ordinary because as Jesus, I would say, would go so far, he doesn't just use, he prefers the ordinary. Because in your eyes, if you're already a big deal, you've already arrived at whatever you think is so great, then good for you. But we recognize for us that the only thing that we can be without Jesus 
is very ordinary and very unfulfilled. Why? Because if you're trying to live life without Jesus, you'll realize you have no real authority to be extraordinary. Because in verse 18, it says, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is the gatekeeper of authority, of the extraordinary, of life, of truth, and of love. Without him, we will never truly have any of these things in our grasp. I don't care how great your success is, I don't care how much money you make, you will not be satisfied without Christ. And we wanna help these ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus Christ because we believe that Jesus is the path of life, fullness, joy, success, and fulfillment. So we wanna help ordinary people become and I wanna stop at that word become because it is so pregnant with potential and meaning, right? And I just said, how do we become? We become by coming to Jesus and having his authority that he gives to transform us into who he's designed us to be, right? He takes ordinary people and he helps them become passionate followers. And I love this about Jesus because we'll never arrive on this side of heaven and that keeps us humble, but he also doesn't leave you where you're at. We will all progress and be sanctified by his spirit if we allow him to encounter us as we encounter him. We have the opportunity to become more like him and who he's called us to be. Jesus was the master of makeovers. I love this. I mentioned this before. Matthew's a tax collector. Man, if you've been in church, you know this, but if not, tax collectors in the first century, they were like the worst kind of dirty trader. Okay, so what they did is Rome took the people in the Jewish culture that said, hey, listen, if you sell your people out, you can line your pockets with as much money as you wanna take. Give me 20 bucks and you can charge them 2,000 if you want and all that goes in your pocket. So they were hated by their peers. They were hated by their family. They were shunned. They had mock funerals for those who would go and become tax collectors because it was so just a terrible. And this is one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He allowed a demonized sex worker into his inner circle and called her a disciple, which was crazy already at the time because rabbis didn't take female disciples, but Jesus did. Jesus is the king of helping ordinary people become something greater than what their history says, what their past dictates, or what society dubs them. And in the same vein, I would rather you be a hot freaking mess smelling like sex, weed, and the club, if you are willing to constantly come back and be in God's presence and allow him to become who he has called you to be, okay? I would rather you be that than a well-put-together Christian churchgoer who knows how to speak all the Christian sayings but never actually engages or encounters the God of the religion they claim to confess and who has no interest in becoming anything more than someone who fills a pew on Sunday without the desire to know the God that they actually say they're serving. Just, just read the Bible. God wants broken, ordinary people because they're the type of people that surrounded Jesus on the regular and they were postured to become something more. They realized their need and that they were poor in spirit, right? This is what Jesus says. That he opens the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 2, 3 with blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, the spiritually just bankrupt. Blessed are the spiritually homeless that know that they can't do anything without me because those are the people who actually inherit and become something greater. So if you're searching, if you're unfulfilled, if you're a hot mess and you keep messing up, but you're willing to come back and be with Jesus, you will become something greater than what you currently are because these are the type of people that Jesus looks for, right? Luke 18, 19, 9 through 14, another pretty popular um, parable. It says this, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, 
Jesus told the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. See, Jesus loves broken humble people because there's room for them to become something greater than a religious bigot who thinks they already have it all together with or without Jesus. Jesus is ready to take our broken pieces and turn us, help us become who he has designed us to be, which is someone and something glorious. Maybe you're on the other side of the coin. Maybe you've been coming to church your whole life and you're just a super religious person and you wanna give up this empty religion. Have you ever asked yourself, why do I come to church? Why do I sit in this pew on Sunday? Why do I get upset when somebody takes my seat? Like if this is the kind of thoughts that are going, like man, if you want to actually encounter Jesus, he's welcoming you too. We see this with Paul and Joseph of Arimathea, these very religious people who were broken before the Lord and they were transformed as well helping ordinary people become passionate. Passion, you hear that word passion a lot, especially if you're a student, you hear this often as people are trying to figure out your career path. They're like, well, what are you passionate about, right? I mean, there's, there's that, or if you're working at a, at a company, the CEO wants passionate employees for the mission of the company, right? But the type of passion I'm talking about when we say passionate followers of Jesus is a passion that comes from a place of encounter, Okay? Passion comes from a place of encounter. You see, any passion that we have usually comes from a catalytic encounter of some sort. You know, growing up, I, I, I said many times I wasn't raised in church, but I was raised religion, religious. And my dad's religion was Florida Gator football. I'm not kidding, man. He went to school here. He went to med school here. Every fall, every, every Saturday, we watched Gator football without fail. And once a year, we would make our spiritual pilgrimage to, to the Gator Mecca during the medical reunion game, and we'd spend the day immersed in all things Gator. I have vivid, cherished memories of me playing football with my brother at tailgates and watching them score a touchdown and just the crowd erupting. It is euphoric. I was hooked. I became a passionate follower of Florida Gator football because of my encounters with the collegiate world. And for years, that was an all-consuming passion for me. My dad helped his ordinary kid become a passionate follower of the Florida Gators through the multiple encounters I had with all of Gator football glory. Or sometimes it's not so fun and it's a hurtful encounter that brings about a passion. Like a, like a cancer survivor who because of that catalytic experience of beating cancer is now an advocate for others who are now battling cancer. I talked to a lady in the lobby after service today. She had stage four cancer. She came to a Christmas service two years ago. We had the kids in the room and we had a moment where Mike called people out and said, if you have, need prayer for something, we'll pray for you. And for whatever reason, she was around the kids. The kids came and one of the little girls held her hand. She said, you're gonna be healed by Jesus. She went to the doctor last week and they cannot find a single ounce of cancer in her body. Stage four cancer is gone. Come on, Lord. That's an encounter 
right? Passion comes from a place of encounter. And it's no different when someone encounters Jesus for the first time or continues to encounter Jesus throughout their journey with him. See, at Greenhouse, we don't want to just talk about Jesus. We wanna know him. We don't wanna know about him. We want to know him, the person, the man, not the religious figure. I personally wasn't raised in church. I was the first in my family to start following Jesus when I was 17 years old. I had a marking encounter with Jesus that sent me on a path to start figuring out who he was, but that first encounter was not enough for me to be totally transformed into who God is calling me to be. It was the start of my journey, but a healthy relationship is marked by not just one encounter with the other person, but multiple encounters solidified and codified by having continual interactions and encounters with that other person. I would say when I was 17, I definitely had a salvific understanding of God for the first few years of my walk, meaning I really do think that I was saved. I really do think I had a genuine encounter, but I would not say I was close to him. I saw who he was, but I didn't have a deep connection. I I, I followed him, but I wasn't passionately surrendered to him. I could recognize him in his presence, but I wasn't encountering him in that place of intimacy. Maybe you can relate to something like that today. I came to Greenhouse, man, I met some people who knew Jesus, not just knew about him, like knew him, could hear his voice, were serious about Jesus and loving him in that secret place, aggressively pursuing him in that next transformative encounter. And when I came on staff, Pastor Mike told me, if you're a pastor on staff, you've got to seek the Lord two hours a day, spend that time with Jesus. And it's about 16 years ago when I started, I was like, okay, that's a little excessive, but yeah, sure, you know, I mean, I trust you. Before I was on staff, man, I was kind of like spend 10 minutes a day, every other day, really, reading a devotional, C's for degrees, bare minimum kind of Christian, you know, like 10 minutes a day keeps the devil away kind of feel. I'm like, okay, I won't go to hell if I pray, so I'm gonna pray, right? Then I started to actually have encounters with the Lord in this daily pursuit of him where I can say pass a lie detector test. I tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. And I'm not saying you have to necessarily spend two hours a day to do that, but man, when you get in the presence of the Holy Spirit, when you see Jesus for who he really is, when you grasp the love of the Father in a way that changes your heart, it does just that. It transforms you. And whether those encounters happened on my own or even when my microchurch, what we've had moments where the Spirit of God just drops in our microchurch and we just corporately encounter God together with tears of joy and freedom, it just changes you, right? We don't become like God. We don't become passionate about him if we don't spend time with him encountering him. Our being has to change before our doing does, right? A lot of you might grow up in church. Religious people have it backwards. They say, well, you need to tighten everything up and then you can come see God. No, Jesus says, come to me in all of your mess and issues and I will change and transform you from the inside out and then everything else will fall into place. See, we're not trying to help ordinary people act like passionate followers. We wanna help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus. And Jesus is always gonna be at the center of that becoming. Not Pastor Mike, not Matt, not the worship team, not even Sundays. Becoming is only birthed from encountering Jesus. I'm not saying you can't do that on Sundays, but if Sundays is not enough, Sundays is not enough. You know, one of the scariest passages in the Bible for a lot of people are Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says this, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many of you will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons? Did we not perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Yikes. Right? And this is the, every, what, what, the question on everybody's mind is like, how do I know if I'm not that person? <laughs> like, Jesus, can I not be that guy? Here's the reality. And this is not with any haughtiness or pomp, but like, I just don't struggle with that question anymore. Because I have had too many encounters with the living God when I seek his face individually, when I encounter him with my family, with my microchurch, I simply know him too well to be stifled by that passage. Because when you become someone different by the hand and spirit of Jesus and you aren't just playing the part coming to church on Sundays, but you're totally disconnected otherwise, you just know. Just like I just know if my wife Tracy loves me. How do I know? Because I spend time with her. I encounter her on a regular basis. We spend time intimately in conversation and having living life together in a way that I would sense the shift in her heart if something changed because of the closeness of our relationship. I can look at my wife and she, I can, hey, babe, how's it going? She's like, good. I'd be like, ooh, what's wrong, girl? <laughs> you won't know it. I will, though, because I know her. I know her voice, I know her tone, I know her body language in ways that you will never know. And Jesus is inviting us into that type of deep, knowing, intimate relationship with him. See, because in this passage, the people Jesus told to go away, I never knew you, they said, Lord, Lord. They knew his formal titles, they just did not know him. There are a lot of church people who notice, say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Praise God, I'm too blessed to be stressed. And they just kind of start rattling off Christianese. And it's just words, it's not a reality. Right, verse 22 says, they prophesied and they cast out demons. They even knew ministry, they knew church things. They loved the ministry, they loved the gifts of the Spirit, they just didn't love the gift giver. See, Jesus said that when we do the will of the Father, we are safe and secure. And the only way to know the Father and the will of the Father is to cultivate a relationship with him in that place of encounter. Jesus calls this abiding. This is where passionate followers are birthed and genuine relationships with Jesus are sustained. When we make time in our busy schedules and we cancel other things, we go to bed early, we don't binge that other movie so that we can get up early and spend that time with Jesus and giving him that first portion of our day. When we say no to the secondary loves and activities and we just press into who he is. See, so many Christians know church culture, they just don't know Jesus. Why do you think people hate Christians so much? Because a lot of people who claim to be Christians are just religious people who actually don't know the Jesus they claim to profess. They're not making an effort to pursue him rightly as you would pursue a lover, as a lover of your soul. And we wanna help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus, not just people who go to church. Right, Matthew 28, verse 16 says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. Why'd they go? Because Jesus told them to. They had such a rapport with Jesus. They had encountered him so often. They had spent so much time with him that if Jesus asked them to do something, they knew it was worth doing. Even the doubters did this. They asked, Jesus asked them to do it, and if they did, they knew that life would be at the end of that command. Then if Jesus asked them to do it, it would be the best move that they would ever make, even if they didn't understand it, even if they didn't get all the answers at once, even if it seemed counter to traditional wisdom. They were passionate in their pursuit of Christ, 
and followed him with unswerving allegiance. This doesn't mean that they were not ordinary. This doesn't mean that they messed up still. But when they did, they stumbled, they got back up, and they ran straight back to who? To Jesus, their source of life, love, and hope. And they encountered him afresh like they had so many times before. See, I think one of, the, one of the greatest threats to Christianity has nothing to do with the others that I talked about at the beginning of the sermon that are outside of the church. The greatest threat to Christianity is to those who call themselves Christians and have not a passion for Jesus, but they, and they don't want to follow him. They want Jesus to follow them, right? So many professing Christians don't try to discern Jesus' will. They spend more time manipulating Jesus in the scriptures to sign off on doing their will. Friends, let me be clear. Jesus is not your political pawn. He is not a genie in a bottle, and he's not a religious talisman. He is Savior, Lord, and the King of Kings, but we need to see him more than just his religious labels and his roles. There are people stumbling out of the club drunk that can spout off the titles of Jesus better than some of you in here because their grandma bought them to church enough to say that, albeit with no real thought or conviction. But we wanna help Ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus, not just a few people who can rattle off yes, Lord, and praise God in the right moments in a church service. We wanna help you get to a place where your faith in Jesus just truly is the delight of your soul, where you want nothing more than to see his face, right? Psalm 84 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Have you ever thought about that? Thousand days is like almost three years. Would you rather spend one day in the presence of God more than like three years doing whatever, traveling the world or doing whatever you want? That's a hard question to answer honestly. I know you're in church. I know you, the right answer. You're like, yes, I would. But that's a good heart posture question. Man, Lord, do I really though? But when we've encountered, when we've engaged, when we've tasted and seen when your heart burns for the Lord so intensely that your desire for him licks up any other competitors for your affection, it's so hot for the Lord that anything other than the passion of Jesus gets caught up in that heat and the poles on our hearts snap like burning rope, that's when we know that we are passionately following Jesus. And this is when people change the world around them. So verse 19, 20, some of the most quoted and famous verses in the Bible, yet some of the least followed. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. See, we as a church, we wanna do the stuff. We wanna do it. Passionate followers get their hands dirty with winning souls and making disciples. You can only gaze at a missionary God and encounter him for so long because, before you become a mobilized missionary for his cause and his heart yourself. And when you do the allure to live comfortably in our little Christian echo chamber, espousing things that we sure will get amens from like-minded people loses its luster. Instead, when you are passionately following Jesus, your joy becomes so surrendered that you don't even blink to put your money where your mouth is to live out your faith in a way that, again, like I said, if this church disappeared from this city, they would mourn the life and the light that we brought. It's because Jesus calls us to live differently, to love differently, and to ch make change differently than the world has told us, or even what religion or Christendom has told us. I wanna share something I wrote a while back um, during one of those mornings where I was just having an encounter with Jesus and he just captured my heart for what a mobilized, passionate follower of Jesus looks like. We'll put that on the screen for you as well because it's long. Christianity becomes toxic 
when it moves from the margins to places of power and prominence. Jesus never attempted to transform the political and social structures of Rome through Roman means, but intentionally remained in the outskirts for the entirety of his ministry. He let the radical nature of the early church and the fierce love of its community transform the culture from the ground up, not from the top down. Jesus did not fight to uphold political structures or regimes throughout the history of the church. When followers of Jesus were not tethered to political power, the church thrived. In the Constantinian eras of political influence, Christianity seems to lose its way. Our faith is supposed to be an anomaly of radical love, service, and unity to those who no one else will care for and no one else desires. Our Savior is born in the margins as a theological statement of where we are called to be. We have inoculated ourselves from true gospel work and loving and love by caring more about defending positions rather than loving the people those philosophical stances are allegedly helping, both on the left and the right. If our hands are not dirty from being with the poor, if our voices are not hoarse from standing with the oppressed and the neglected, if our homes are not worn down from hospitality to those who need shelter, if we cannot point to times this week where we have, our lives have been personally impacted by the marginalized, the lost, and those in need, we have strayed from our purpose and we have lost our ways. This is the call to revolutionaries who want to change the world by actually doing the stuff that Jesus called us to do. Loving your neighbor, whether that's next door or at the border or from Afghanistan or yet to be born or sleeping in the streets that are willing to shirk the American dream for the kingdom revolution, who get asked regularly, are you sure you want to do that? Because the way you love puts others' needs before your own and this makes those asking uncomfortable because normal people don't live that way. Passionate followers of Jesus don't lose heart and don't pull back that desire to do those crazy things you did at first. I haven't lost hope for this vision of this reality, that there can be a surge of passionate followers of Jesus who change our city and change this world. There's still work for us to do, and the beauty is this is not striving, this is not where we're just trying harder to be a better Christian, just work it through. No, this is the natural outpouring that happens when we encounter Jesus in that place of abiding and the overflow of the grace-filled steps that he beckons us to take. Even so, you might be like, man, this is kind of hard. Why, why are you making this so dis- difficult? Because Jesus said the road is narrow. As many of you know, my family fosters children. We fostered immigrant children from the border. We're currently fostering locally children from our city here in Gainesville. And when I tell people we foster, they meet the children that we foster, the majority of people say, oh, I would love to do that, but I don't think I could take the heartbreak. They give me a smile and they say, bless you for what you're doing. Do you think that I am so hard and guarded that my heart is not ripped apart every time that we foster? Do you think that my my wife and my children have not spent dozens of times weeping over the plight of the children in our home and after they leave? It continually shatters our heart every time we do it. So why do it? Because that's where Jesus is. In the margins, with the least of these, 
standing with them, welcoming them into his home, loving until it hurts because his heart is for every single one of us and it is so great that he was willing to sacrifice everything to ensure that everyone could experience his deep love and wholeness through the people who are passionately following him. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. One of my wife Tracy's favorite quotes about fostering says this. It says, I could be sitting on the sidelines in blissful ignorance of the brokenness that surrounds me, enjoying the wholeness of my sweet and sheltered life, missing out on the beauty of breaking off pieces of my heart and my life to make another whole. You know, why even bring this up? I'm not trying to toot my own horn. This is not a guilt trip to get you to foster either. I'm just trying to give you like, this is an ordinary family who's trying to passionately follow Jesus and it's currently manifesting in our family's life right now through fostering, right? See, passionate followers, we forego and we refuse the safe little life that the siren of the American dream sings to us and instead falls in line with Jesus' call to help, love, and heal others the way that Jesus would, extravagantly and sacrificially. Why? It's not so that we can get a badge of honor or get glory on this side of heaven. It's not so that other people can look at us and think we're so great. But when it's because when you become a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, everything about your life changes. Your priorities change. Your passions change. Your measure of success changes. Everything is reborn in the light of the sacrifice of Jesus and the great love that God has not only for you, but how the great love that he has given you is supposed to manifest to those around you. Friends at Greenhouse, we want to help ordinary people. That's you. That's me. Become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm not gonna lie to you, it will cost you everything. But you will gain everything of actual value in return. It will realign your priorities. It will mess up your pretty little life, but it also allows you to tear through the veil of lies that this world has been hoodwinking you into thinking actually matters. You will actually experience true life for the first time ever. What success is now will radically change. If money and status are your benchmarks of success, your success is antithetical to the kingdom of God. If your measure of success in life is the exact same as your unsaved friends or neighbors, you have not broken into the world of passionately following Jesus yet. He calls us to something greater. He calls us to something deeper, to something more meaningful than anything this world has to offer. So this morning, I'm asking you to really just assess your relationship with Jesus. Are you radically encountering him enough to bring about transformation in your life? Would someone look at the way that you pray the way that you live and the way that you give yourself, your finances, your home, your time, and say, that's just not a good person. The only explanation for the way that person lives is because they must be one of those people who have encountered and been transformed by Jesus. And I just dare you and I plead with you at the same time to make the decision to move from just being an ordinary churchgoer to becoming a passionate follower of Jesus Christ.